first known rules of golf were drawn up in 1744 by the gentleman golfers of Edinburgh in Leith, Scotland. Since then, the game has changed dramatically. Golf courses, equipment, and not least the rules. So where do I go when I want to learn about the rules of the game today? Well, I go to the Golf Rules Questions podcast with Blakey and Roscoe, of course. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. Welcome everyone to episode number 56 of the Golf Rules Questions podcast uh, and uh, I'm Blakey, your host uh, from Golf Rules Questions and alongside me today is co-host Stuart McPhee. Welcome Stuart. Thanks Blakey, good to be back. Yeah, so uh, it's been, well for me it's been a quiet week because I've been in bed this week. It wasn't COVID, it was something else, but uh, it was some type of flu or cold. And I am looking a little bit scratchy today, uh, so forgive me. But I'm trying to cover it up with my recently uh, purchased merchandise. Uh, this nice sexy hat I've got here, Golf is an Attitude. Uh, so check that out on my, uh, one of my, oh, on my website, on my uh, Instagram, YouTube, whatever. And then I also managed to finally get around to getting a hoodie, a Golf Rules Questions podcast uh, hoodie. So it's nice and warm as we head into winter in Australia and Melbourne. So definitely needed and it looks pretty good. So I highly recommend you go out and get yourself one to keep warm as well. Although it looks like uh, Stuart's keeping warm with a heater inside. Sorry, my <laughs> girlfriend's just my girlfriend's just tried to call me. And she'll, I bet you she'll try and call 100,000 times again. So I better put that on silence. How are you, Stuart? How are you been? I'm, I'm very well. Just funny you're talking about the cold. You know, I played this morning and geez, it was cold and very foggy. And it took at least till we got onto the back nine before the fog even looked like lifting. Um, you know, they tell me it makes a big difference on the ball and how far it travels. And it certainly had an impact this morning. But no, I'm very well. Obviously better than you've been the last week. So all good. Yeah, I'm, uh, you're better than me, although um, your golf may not have been as good as uh, as mine recently. Is that right? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but, uh, next topic. <laughs> yeah. You know the goal of yours is to be better, a lower handicap than mine by the end of the year, right? I did not know that, but now I do. Yeah, well, that, that, was, that was what uh, the goal of mine was to be better than Ross by the end of last year. And I achieved that goal pretty easily, to be honest. Um, I didn't really have to do too much. Mr. Flanagan just did it all. No, he played enough to get his own handicap out rather than me coming down, which was fine. In my accord. Right, so um, me blabbering on. But we need to get through... The answer to the Golf Rules Questions OTW 54, which we missed last week, that was my uh, my fault of missing that one. Uh, can you remind us of what the question was, Stuart? Yeah, paraphrasing. So Barry uh, asked this question, and it was about a boundary edge being marked by a line on the ground and a ball that was very close to being 
out of bounds or inbounds, but the ball was actually not sitting on the ground. It was actually suspended in the air, just sitting in some long grass. And, but it was sitting over that line. And the question was simply whether that ball was inbounds or not. So you can just run through the consequences of having a boundary edge defined by a line on the ground and, and what that means. Yeah, so if you have a line on the ground to define the boundary, uh, then the line itself is actually out of bounds. And the inside edge of that line with the course is essentially the, the line um, that defines whether your ball is in or out. And your ball actually has to have at least part of it um, on touching the course. So touching the course. So if, if it's fully touching the line, all of it is on the line, none of it is touching the course, uh, it's going to be out of bounds. And that doesn't mean that doesn't matter whether it's two foot under the ground uh, in a rabbit burrow, uh, foxhole or it's uh, two metres up in the air in a tree, suspended in a tree. So the boundary line goes up and down, vertically up and down, uh, you know, through the earth, up into the sky for infinity. And essentially the ball has to touch a part of the course on the course side of, or the inside of that, that line. So uh, yeah, I believe the answer was that ball is fully out. Is that correct? Uh, I think it was in that particular case. Yeah. I think that question that Barry asked was actually about a particular incident that occurred at an event, which is why ah. it's so fresh in his mind to ask. Mm. Ah, right. And did the referee at the time get it right? Do you know? <laughs> you don't, don't you know. don't know. You don't know. Okay. It wasn't me, so well, just make that clear. It wasn't me either. No. <laughs> And I don't think it was Barry. I think no, that's why no. I was laughing about it. Yes. Uh, right. But uh, yeah, boundary, uh, boundary um, you know, boundaries are interesting. Uh, the course has the boundary uh, that you need to play within. And if you go outside that, uh, you're going to incur a penalty. Uh, so we need to know exactly what the boundary is on every part of the course. And a line makes it easiest to work out what the boundary is. But in a lot of places, there are fences, there's brick uh, brick walls. And like a fence, it's the inside of the stakes, whether that fence has a chain metal fence, um, a wire netting fence, uh, it's the inside of the stakes. Because a lot of people get confused thinking that, oh, where's the netting? The netting's on the inside. Okay, my ball is um, inside that netting. That's fine. Or the netting's on the outside. Well, my ball is still on the coarse side of that netting. You know, my ball is in bounds. And that's not correct. It's to do with the stakes. Uh, and similarly, uh, with, a, with a rock wall, um, the rock wall in most cases is actually inbounds and it's actually the outside of the wall uh, that is uh, out of bounds. So the ball could be sitting on the wall and be inbounds, uh, but that's up to the committee to make sure that they clarify uh, that. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, be very clear, especially if you do have um, rock walls or <coughs> chain metal fences. Now, you know, and I've already mentioned this one on the podcast before, it was quite funny, but uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, there was a, an event at a course and um, the ball got hit right on this hole and the, because of the wind, the chain metal fence had actually blown out, it billowed out like an umbrella. Um, bit of a weird analogy, but uh, billowed out and, they, and the ball was in this chain metal fence and actually outside the stakes, but obviously on the coarse side of this um, mm. metal fence. And the player didn't agree with the, referee, the walking referee uh, so they called in another referee. The player didn't agree with that referee, so they called in another referee, and that referee said, you've wasted everyone's time. Get on with it. And then she had to go back to the tee, and someone in that meantime had stolen one of the tee markers. <laughs> so they had, to, uh, they had to estimate where the tee markers uh, were placed. And, and continue, but uh, and that's actually that's an important. Just a side note: that's why they put dots beside the T markers, so that they know where they actually place the T markers. But there you go. There's a side note for you. I'll give you a little side note. Just my very first, which we've spoken about previously, my very first professional tournament. I was there the last round, and there was a good chance there was going to be a playoff. And over the radio, and I'm sitting on the 18th fairway. Over the radio, a man you know very very well, ALJ. Um, comes over the radio and says, Stuart, can you, if, if he makes his part, you know, if there's going to be a playoff, can you duck straight back to the 18th teeing area and make sure the tee markers are still there? Um, and if they're not, go back to the 17th and grab, <laughs> grab those and bring them forward, which never even occurred to me. And I thought, this guy's done this before. Well, it's just such a smart move. So he's talking about tee markers being, um, being souvenired. Yeah, it's... Uh... I'm not sure how common it is, but it's certainly something that you think about. You know, when you do have a playoff, you know, things that you think about are how do we get the players back to the the tee that they're going to be playing? Is the course still set up? Because you know that on a Sunday, the greenkeepers are going around behind, picking everything up, Mm. moving it, probably got a member's day the next day, or, you know, sometimes they don't. Sometimes the members are just playing the course as it is, so they'll just leave it as as is it depends if it's a public or a private course uh, but yeah making sure the um, bunkers are being raked uh, the signs that's, are that's still the other thing you mentioned yeah, yeah. rake all the bunkers but, if they're not in um in fiji um i can't remember if they ever had a playoff but uh you know the green keepers would put pick stuff up um because otherwise they would just get pinched by the local villagers <laughs> And um, I know someone who went to one of their houses, you know, the chief's house one year, just to talk to him about, you know, getting volunteers out for spotting balls and stuff like this. And uh, pretty much his house was made up of signs from the previous year's sponsors. Because you don't, you know, core, a core flute um, is pretty much all you need in Fiji when it's like the lowest it gets down to is probably 22. A very good, it's a very good story. Um, we've got a lot to cover today, Blakey. I think we need to probably yeah. well, actually, we could keep uh, going stories all day, but yeah, we could. Um, we did have a question recently about um, 
out of bounds, something to do with out of bounds, didn't you? In the community, you mean? Yes, yes. Well, yeah, I was going to get to that. We can talk about that now. I was, I was going to talk about that today. Yeah, we might as well uh, crack on with it since we're talking about out of bounds. Sure, it was just simply, so the latest community question, um, all we put down was, you know, down the second second hole down the left-hand side at Wombat, Wombat Hills. That's a beautiful golf course, Wombat Hills. Down the <laughs> left-hand side of the second hole, there are, you know, small white stakes with black tops marking out of bounds. And I, we simply asked, what's, what's the correct statement to describe those stakes? And what I found interesting was almost three in 10 people believe that if they interfered with your next stroke, you could move them out of the way. And I just found that quite interesting, that as a boundary object, people thought, well, that little stake there, which will take no effort for me to just move it out of the way, it's in my way, I'm in bounds, but it's in my way, I'll just move it, play my next stroke and either put it back or leave it lying on the ground or whatever, but thinking that they could move that and there'd be no penalty for that. I just found that interesting that 30% of people believe that. And how many people voted at that stage? Oh, a lot, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I mean, we are approaching a thousand votes, so. Uh, let's say 900, 30% of 900 is 90. Um, no, it's not. Um, <laughs> 30 of 900 is 270. Um, so 270 people believe that they can move a movable, uh, move a boundary yeah, object. Mm. Scary. That is scary. So it's a fair sampling too. It's not five votes. It's a fair sample. And a lot yeah. of golfers think, oh, it's in my way. I'll just move it out of the way. That is scary. Uh, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll keep going on with education and see if we can help them out one day. Cool. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about uh, a recent post you've made on your YouTube channel, and that was Scotty Scheffler at the Masters this year. And I think I think the image is actually sitting behind you as your background today, The uh, that one there. So he's in the third round, 18th hole, pulls his tee shot way left and they eventually find it and he decides to take unplayable ball relief. And there was a referee on hand and he gave him his three options, no doubt. Um, he decided to take lateral relief so using his two club lengths and come out. And I had two questions I want to run by you with this situation. The first one was his two club lengths came out to an area which was just completely covered in pine needles. So I wanted to ask you about the loose impediments and we'll get to the second point next, but I just wanted your thoughts about, cause he specifically asked the referee, oh, can I move any of these out of the way? So there was a conversation there about, and the referee was very clear about, don't make you know massive sweeping moves. You need to be very, very careful. Can you just perhaps make a comment about what the referee would have been talking about there regarding how aggressive you can be with moving loose impediments when you're about to drop. Yeah, so obviously you can move the loose impediments and the pine needles, or what they call pine straw, uh, are loose impediments. And we have seen uh, previous players doing it and it's you are allowed to do it, but you've got to do it in a way that you're not also um unreasonably moving sand and loose soil and so the the referee was just making sure that that wasn't going to happen so he was happy for scotty to do it and you know it sort of ended up going from 
instead of doing this big sweeping, Scotty sort of got a bit uh, worried and started just picking them, which he, he could probably do a little bit more than that. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was just an, inter, uh, an interesting interaction. There was a bit of confusion, Scotty thinking that Kevin, the, the referee, wasn't going to allow him to move any of it. And he said, no, no, you can move it. He's, um, it's more just about your action of moving it is, is how he was trying to get it across. Uh, you know, so, yeah, he didn't want to do this big, he didn't want the player to do this big sweeping action. Uh, and thus making it look a little bit farcical. Um, but he was happy for him to sort of pick out a few here and there, um, or Scotty in the end picked out a few here and there and sort of was a bit more cautious with it. Um, so that's what it really is. You know, if you have a big, let's say you're in the middle of a fairway, you know, the fairway has got grass, beautiful grass coverage, and you've just got this big pile of leaves. Well, the, the idea that you move the leaves, there's, there's like little chance, you know, there's always a chance, but there's little chance of, this, of there being this big pile of uh, loose sand or soil under those leaves, right? So, you know, moving the leaves away is going to be fine because you're going to get down to the, the fairway and it's going to be pure and yeah. um, it's not unreasonable to get your foot in there, move them away, or get a big sweeping arm going in there and moving them away. Um, it, you know, it's you're not going to be moving loose sand or soil in the same process. Or there's, yeah, as I said, little chance of you moving loose sand and soil. Whereas if you're in the under trees uh, where there's pine needles, but there's also um, could be loose sand and soil in that sort of the way that they've designed their rough. Um, yeah, then there is there is that chance. So Kevin was just um, trying to make sure that Scotty didn't do anything silly or anything untoward. Sure. So what, what we're talking about here then is, you know, rule 8, 8.1, you know, play the course you find it, conditions affecting the stroke. And I think it's probably one of those that, and it's one of the breaches I was going to talk about later um, at club level that probably a lot of people don't understand it. So what I guess he's trying to be careful to do is to not improve the relief area that he's about to drop in, which of course is one of the conditions affecting the stroke. And one of the things I learned very early on is that, you know, loose soil and sand are not loose impediments. And I guess you don't want to be burrowing away and then effectively moving out sand out of the way or soil out of the way to create or to improve your lie or to, you know, improve the relief area that is about to drop in. But yeah, um, yeah. It was, I thought it was interesting that the conversation he had. I think probably, yeah, players are very careful about what they can do so they don't improve one of those cats. Yeah, um, certainly you try and get insurance. So you ask yes. the referee what you can do. And if, as soon as the referee says, yes, you can, you do it. And then if they say, oh, I didn't mean it like that, you say, well, that's what you told me. I remember an incident uh, with Mickelson once, you know, ball under a tree, wants to get in there, least intrusive, and and the referee's basically guiding him, no, you can't do that, but yes, you can step over that branch, but you need to go around that one, and it was all very orchestrated to not improve one of his cats. Yeah. Uh, and, to their fall. and you're right yeah, about no. insurance. That's a good point. 
Um, but yeah, no, uh, in the end, you are able to um, move loose impediments from your relief area before you drop, that is allowed. And uh, Scotty did, Scotty did, and uh, had a pretty good shot. The second part of that situation, which probably attracted a little bit more interest, was him with a tee in his hand before he dropped, actually placing the tee into the pine straw, pine needles, to try to almost probe and test. And we know there's other parts of the course where you can't test the surface, a bunker being one, you can't test the surface of a green, but here he is effectively trying to test uh, what's underneath there to see if there's any hidden dangers. Do you want to talk about that and his uh, ability to actually do that? Uh, yeah, so he did ask the referee if he could test to see if there were any tree roots. I mean, tree roots are one of the banes of a professional's career, obviously. Um, you know, what I say to that is don't take a divot. Just knife the ball every chance you get. That's how I play golf. Uh, but, you know, they're obviously a lot better than me and are able to do things to the golf ball that I can't do. And we have an interpretation in Rule 8.1 uh, that says that you are allowed to, as long as you're not improving your conditions, um, you are allowed to probe around the ball um, for tree roots or rocks or obstructions, um, you know, whether it be for tree roots and rocks so you don't hurt yourself or possibly there's an obstruction and you might be able to get free relief from it. Uh, if you don't know how, how far a road goes or you don't know how far a sprinkler head goes or how far a uh, drain goes or something like that. So, um, yeah, around your ball, you are able to probe with a T um, to see, uh, you know, where the object or this hard object um, might start or end. And interfere with you and potentially hurt you, which is probably it a very really smart thing. Yeah, but as I said, just knife the ball. <laughs> um, any, any more on the Scheffler? And obviously, very well done to him for going on yeah. the next day. But um, yeah, no, he went pretty well. Um, there was a bit of a a little bit of a controversy, I guess, from mostly from Australians who wanted Cam Smith to win. Um, they saw that the butt of the club wasn't right beside the ball when it was measured the two club lengths. Uh, and I've got the video up on my YouTube if you want to go and check it out. Uh, but yeah, the butt of the club might have been what six inches away from the ball. Uh, but from the angle, it looks like what they've done is the ball was here, the butt of the club was here, and then they've measured the two club links so that the holes up this way. They measured the two club links, so effectively, it's just sort of more parallel than um, than an ex a six inch extension. It's more parallel, and then they've they've gone outwards from there. Um, just due to the nature of where the ball was actually sitting. Um, so it didn't look, and, you know, Kevin Feeney, the referee, was right on hand to look at that and make sure it was all above board. So it didn't look like there was anything untoward uh, there at all. Wouldn't you say, though, if he marked that out and maybe was a bit generous with the, the second club length and put his team in the ground, but then dropped, like, only a little bit more than one club length away from where his original ball came to rest, it's still within the relief area, 
Um, there's no question of being maybe three inches out. I mean, it's still come to rest in the correct spot, hasn't it? Yeah, well, Stuart, you it's just not mark, a good look. Sorry, it's just not a good look. Maybe, Stuart, you could mark four club links out if you really wanted to. Yes, yeah. And if you still drop within one club length, you've done and played it from there as long as it's um, no nearer the hole, mm. uh, and you've got, um, you know, everything's done right. The only thing that was weird was you marked out four club links. Mm -hmm. then you've still done everything right and there's no penalty. Mm -hmm. uh, as we both know, you don't even have to mark it out at all. No. You can just you can just go, oh yeah, it looks about two club links here and bang, you start and you drop. Mm -hmm. um, the, the reason they were marking was they were definitely trying to get um, to the most extreme edge or the yeah, edge. Away from the, the bush, away from the trees and stuff. Mm -hmm. from, from the hole, so uh, it's from the ball, so they could get away from the trees and uh, yeah. you know make sure that they had a shot uh, at the green. So yeah, uh, there is the only requirement really when it comes to dropping, and I say only, but it's, you know, I guess it's not quite right, but the only requirement is that you do drop correctly within that relief, within the relief area, but the relief area is, an area from the ball, yeah. in this case, two club links, no nearer the hole. Uh, it's not necessarily the area that you've measured out. Where the team is. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Uh, mm. I mean, if you've if you've stuffed up, I mean, you might have measured it with a wedge, uh, and then dropped outside, dropped it, and it's rolled outside the two wedges. Mm. Well, that doesn't mean that the ball has gone outside your relief area. The relief mm. area is two club lengths, the longest club in the bag. And I'm assuming that in this case, your wedge is not your longest club. Mm. Um, so let's say it's in this case, it's not your longest club, it's your driver. So if you've rolled outside your two wedges, then there is a possibility your ball is still within the relief area. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, mm. all, all good there. Good. I'm glad you've clarified that potential controversy. Um, uh, we happy to happy to move on from Scheffler then. Yeah, go on to the next. So the next one on your YouTube channel. And this was a pretty straightforward one. This was Georgia Hall in Saudi Arabia with a five shot lead on the 16th hole on day four, so her 70th hole, and just pulled it left. But it actually landed on some rocks within a red penalty area. Clearly could have played it from where it came to rest without penalty. Um, but just chose to take the lateral relief option. And it was pretty straightforward, really. But I was interested in your thoughts about, you know, a player like that. She could have played it from where it lied, may have damaged her club. But as you said, as you've said in one of your videos, just get the angle grinder out to clean that up. Um, but, you know, she's taken her medicine and chipped on and I think made a fall. Yeah, well, I guess it could have been similar to Scotty Scheffler as well, that she didn't want to hurt her wrists. Um, you know, because then then it's it's not good for a golfer's career if you hurt your wrist. No. Um, no. I.e. Bryson DeChambeau at the moment. But, um, yeah, so she took her medicine knowing that she was five in front. It was a pretty easy decision, actually. Uh, and then it was just a simple lateral relief drop. Now, she was so close to the green, almost had the opportunity to drop on the green, but wasn't quite close enough. 
in the case where, um, you know, this is another uh, sort of confusion that people get uh, with an abnormal course condition like a path, you must take full interference relief. So you're not allowed to stand on the path after you drop it. Um, you, you're not allowed to swing and hit the path after you've taken a drop. Whereas with a red penalty area, it's the only requirement in terms of interference is that your ball is not still within the red penalty area after yeah. you've taken a drop. It has nothing to do with stance or whether you swing mm. and take a divot that is partly in the um, red penalty area or you hit a tree that's still within the red penalty area or, or anything like that. It's really just the ball. So if you drop your ball and you're still standing in the red penalty area, as long as the ball, again, has stayed within the relief area, uh, then that ball is in play. Did you want to talk about if that relief area, her two club lengths, lateral relief, did extend onto the putting green? Did you want to talk about one of the unique parts of that uh, relief option? Uh, yeah, I actually uh, will save that one because I've got... Uh, Colin Morikawa video, it's hard, a little bit hard to see, but I've got a Colin Morikawa video that I want to put together um, that has that exact same, actually Phil Mickelson did it. Yeah. Correct, PGA Phil, last year. Phil Mickelson did it at the PGA last year. Um, Correct. So that, that video is on my YouTube that we can go and check out. But <coughs> the funny thing about that is um, they slightly changed it, which no one needs to know about. They did slightly change it from... 2018 um, but if you drop it on the green it has to stay on the green to be in play so if it rolls off you have to do it again or if you drop it not on the green um, and it rolls onto the green it rolls onto the green um, then you have you it doesn't count you have to do it again like you have to do it again so it has to stay in the area the area of the course and it first hits the ground mm. the area of the course within the relief area that it first hits the ground um, and that in that specific area. So putting green, putting green, general area, general area, yep. bunker, bunker. So, yeah. And as I said, one of the very few times you're actually, you actually drop onto the putting green and not place a ball. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my, there's about six, uh, six times that that happens, that that can happen. Well, there's another list I need to get together. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I've forgotten most of them, but um, I'm sure next next week we'll put put that list together. Okay, I mean, and the other list, and the other list we should put together is all the times where you actually place a ball in the general area on the ground. There's a few of yep. those too, and not drop. Yep. Mm. Yep. Anyway, so the Georgia Hall one was pretty straightforward, just a standard lateral relief option from. A red penalty area. I also wanted to talk about, you mentioned PGA last year with Phil. And of course, as we speak, the PGA is on this year. And I noticed watching round one coverage, sure enough, whoever it was, was about to hit their approach up to the green, goes into their bag, pulls out a range finder, gets the laser to the eye, and sure enough, pings the flag stick. So I was interested in your thoughts about distance measuring devices. There's obviously a rule covering them, 4.3 in the equipment area. Um, there's obviously a rule. What your thoughts are on distance measuring devices in general, professional level, club level, uh, because obviously the rules allow that. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, they're fine. I mean, I have 
know if they speed up play, I like them. If they don't speed up play, I don't like them. Uh, you know, a lot of the pros are so used to not using them that they'll just keep the caddy will do what they do and um, they like working it out other ways. I mean, some caddies tell their player the wrong number just so they don't, you know, just they judge their player on how they're feeling, how they're hitting it that day and, and whatnot. I heard I that exact, like sorry, I heard that exact story this morning from a guy in my group playing this morning, mentioned that exact story with Steve Williams, who was caddying for Tiger Woods and Adam Scott, giving them the wrong yeah. number. Uh, yeah, well, he's, I know Steve said that he'd give Tiger the wrong number sometimes just so that he wouldn't hit this flagstick and have it bounce back. He obviously uh, gave him the exact number at uh, Augusta on the um, 15th hole in 2013. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it can happen. And, uh, but, and back in into distance measuring devices, you know, amateurs use them, but it just it's just more a tool for showing how poorly we are, uh, you know, how bad we are at playing rather than anything. Yeah. Can I ask you from a referee's perspective? So we know under that rule, okay, you can obviously a tour can say or an event can say you're not allowed to use them today, but or for this event, but you are allowed to use them, but you cannot have them adjust for elevation changes. And, um, and, you know, that's in the rules. So they may allow the laser, but not actually have them just for elevation changes. How do you police that? You're a referee. I mean, how, how do you know if he's got it switched on or not? It no, must you be don't. tough. You just, you just. I mean, it's, uh, you just, you just hope they don't. And uh, for the most part, just like the 30% of people that don't realize that you can't move a uh, boundary object, at least 30% probably do have the slope turned on. You know, two of the, two of the biggest, um, two of the most broken rules, in, uh, apart from provisionals and penalty areas, two of the most broken rules in amateur golf are um, giving and receiving advice. People talk about um, what club they used all the time. That, that's just endemic. And uh, not marking the ball when they lift it. Uh, that's probably the other. Those are the two of the biggest ones I can think of that uh, people breach all the time. Uh, but, you know, so in club golf, if someone goes and pays 500 bucks for a whiz-bang um, laser, you know, I highly doubt they're going to go, I better turn off that feature. <laughs> I really, you know, I, I, I don't even know why. That's probably the most annoying thing. I don't even know why we allowed, you know, allowed people to create this technology that like there's a clear breach of the rules and we're saying, I'll oh, make sure you turn it off. Like yeah. we have to back people's integrity. I, that's fine. But 90% of the people, oh, that's 95% of the people wouldn't even know that it's a rule that you can't use slope, a slope function on yeah. your, Rangefinder. Mm. 
maybe a similar example might be you would assume that all the clubs that all those players are using are conforming. Like you'd have no reason to go, can I just have a look at your wedge and we just got this, you know, some device to check its metal content or something, you know, and um, you just, you rely on the fact that they are, all their clubs are conforming. You rely on the fact that if they're using distance measuring devices, they're not, don't have the elevation change switched on. Yeah, well, did you see that uh, breach in the USGA floorball championships recently? Why do I think I've heard this or you told me? But no, I don't remember it was, the it was this. It was this week. I think it happened on Monday uh, or Sunday. And um, someone got DQ'd because he got DQ'd for a club violation, like a, a non-conforming club. His partner also got DQ'd. It wasn't like his partner could carry on. Mm. And it was because the grips, he had one of those, he either had a broom handle. Yeah, I think it was like a broom handle and he mustn't have been anchored. It wasn't for anchoring. It was because the two grips were too close together. There wasn't a big enough gap on the two grips. Wow. I have no idea. I have no, well, that's, yeah, that's a great point. I have no idea what, like, please, someone tell me, I'm, I'm ignorant on this. I have no idea why having two grips so close together is an advantage. An actual issue. Mm. But apparently, and I'm going to misquote it here, apparently it needs to be at least an inch and a half or at least two inches. And, and this player, his was only three quarters of an inch or something like that. Um, so it's an interesting one that it's unfortunate that his partner got disqualified as well and couldn't. So it was four, so it was a four ball. So why his partner couldn't continue. Um, that, you know, we know that if you're in a four ball match play and your partner you know, has a general penalty, you're out of the hole. But your partner can, the other guy can still, or other guy will, can actually still continue in the hole. They're just disqualified from that hole, but uh, unfortunate that they were disqualified for the the entire round, as well yeah. as both of them. Yeah. So I guess uh, now I should have looked up the, the reason for that. They were disqualified from the competition, I guess. So it's not just disqualified from the the whole the match. You know, yeah. would have mattered. Yeah. Disqualified from the competition for having a non-conforming club. And right. it's the side that takes the disqualification. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, oh, bad luck. It's like, it's like the Keegan Bradley, you know, the marking and lifting or lifting and replacing, you know, he'll never forget that. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm sure this until, person with their putter will now know the rule. Well, he's got to play at another. He's trying to play to qualify for something. Um, mm -hmm. So he, uh, he said he's going to go and get it fixed uh, this week. So. Um, yeah, good, good on them. I was going to talk to you about, there's another um, video on your YouTube channel. Perhaps we can leave it for next time, that uh, event you found where the, it was in the playoff. It was a stroke play event, first hole of the playoff. Perhaps we can talk about that uh, next time because uh, there's been quite a lot of discussion on the YouTube video, a lot of conversation there. So if you haven't, not you, but if the audience haven't uh, seen that video for them to go and actually watch it in its entirety 
have a listen to the commentary going on behind the scenes and amongst the group and and uh, try to understand what's happening from a rules perspective and then read the comments below and perhaps we'll talk about that uh, in our next chat because I thought that I actually found that quite interesting. Yeah, that was um, great. That was great. Um, I was going to also bring up with you um, and perhaps this is a, a podcast on its own and talking about at club level and how strict we are with the rules because I played last Saturday and all three of the other people that I played with all breached a rule and as clear as day to me and you sometimes the conversation of course is you know at club level what do we do about that and how strict are we and you know a lot of people who go out and play golf are there to enjoy themselves and the old sheep stations routine comes back but I'll tell you what the three breaches were and then perhaps we can dedicate it as I said an entire episode to club level examples of rule breaches what clubs do about it what they don't do about it Are you happy for me to share very quickly what those three situations were yeah and, of course uh, you can comment quickly so the first one was just on the first the very first green the guy turns is about to putt and the guy turns to all three of us and goes so what do we what do we think guys are the greens going to be fast or slow today so i'll be interested in your thoughts about that that same player also at another stage, another holes asked about what club did you just hit? Um, the second example was vividly see this image in my mind. His ball's just off a path in the rough, heaps of bark and twigs and that around. And he moves a really, really big piece of bark out of the way. And of course his ball follows and moves a good 50 centimetres. And his ball's in a general area moves a good 50 centimetres and he quickly, very quickly, just picks it up and just puts it back. And, of course, doesn't say a word to anything, doesn't add what he should have added to his score for that hole. And the third one was on the very first hole, talking about conditions affecting the stroke. So he's under a tree and he just backs up, <laughs> moves, moves literally half the tree out of the way. If he was a truck, there'd be beeping, you know, beep. Beep, beep, as he reverse into this tree to move these branches out of the way and sure enough whack hits his ball he did it another time as well and so the, the three breaches um it's just so common i guess you who have been doing this a lot longer than i have and know the rules as well as you do if you play with people not as if you are openly actively looking for breaches but when you see something happen it is just so obvious to you um it's just not obvious to others. Anyway, perhaps we can talk about club level and how many rules breaches there really are at club level. Since I've been working in club level, um, it's scary. It's, you know, with what we talk sort of about, sort of about, you know, there's a difference between pros and amateurs um, in terms of the rules of golf. But it really doesn't even matter that there's professionals who have officials to look after them. But then again, what we were going to talk to uh, talk about that video that, that I've put up on my YouTube, um, they were pros and they didn't have an official and they just did like amateurs, you know? So it's like, if you have officials, you play by the rules. If you don't have officials, you you pretty much won't play by the rules because no, <laughs> no one knows the rules. Um, you know, 
if someone's if someone's going around and saying, so what do you reckon? Do we, do we think the greens will be fast or slow? I mean, that's a clear. If it's during the round, it's a clear breach of the advice. He's asking for advice. If he's just being jovial, you'd know that better. So he might get away with it that way. Yeah. But uh, it didn't. Uh, I don't know. You'd you'd know him. So it, if it wasn't jovial, it's clear. It was breach. the former. Yeah, ten point two. It was the former. And then, it was a pretty then, clear. What do we reckon, guys? And then what was his other question? What what sh- what club are you going to hit here? Oh yeah, but that's a that's probably the most common example, isn't it? Yeah, it is. As, as I said, that's the most broken rule. So what do you do? Um, you just say, hey. I mean, I I've softened my stance now, just realizing what club golf is really like. You know, I like playing by the rules. I like telling people what the rules are. You know. So in terms of my own personal stance in the rules, that hasn't changed. But in terms of how I see other people playing the game, uh, they just don't seem to want to learn. And they just think, I don't know. They think, I mean, the guy that's, yeah, backed into the bush like he's a lorry truck. <laughs> um, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to come along and say, well, actually, mate, you're only supposed to sort of just wriggle in there a little yeah. bit, least intrusive. You know, you know, as soon as you turn your back, you know, as soon as he plays with someone a week later, he'll be laughing at you, going, that moron tried to tell yeah. me I couldn't do this. I've been doing exactly. this my whole life. That's why I think you it's know. worthy of a whole episode. We can talk about club level yeah. and how you deal with those situations. Well, I, you know, I don't think, I think it's definitely worth, an episode, but I think it's more more than one episode. I think it's something we should have every week. What do you see in Clubland this week? Yeah, no, well, I'll give you an exact example this morning. My tee shot on the eighth landed on a, ended up, came to rest on a path, gravel path, artificially surfaced, clear, uh, abnormal course condition. I get free relief. And I was actually closer to the fairway side of this path. So it was clearly towards that side. And I said to the guys, and the two guys I was playing with today, one was playing off plus four, the other off plus three. And there was another guy. And I said, I'm actually going to play it from where it lies because I know my nearest point of relief is actually into the bushes, <laughs> even though it's closer towards the fairway because I'm a right-handed player. And I'm explaining, and they knew, they know I knew the rules. But And one of the guy who played off plus four said, mate, every other member would be dropping it on the fairway side. And I said, well, yeah, but I know that's not the nearest point of relief. I need to be over there in the bushes. Therefore, I'm not going to take relief. I'm going to play it as it lies. But it was just that comment of well, no one else would do that. And that, Everyone would drop it on the fairway side. That's spot on. Like you actually, I hate to say this because I'd love to promote the rules as, hey, we should all play by the rules. Mm-hmm. But um, you actually disadvantage yourself sometimes by or you probably disadvantage yeah. yourself a lot more times than you advantage yourself yeah by knowing the rules and i hate to maybe. say that maybe but, but it's the truth because you, you see people who don't know the rules and they just play in bliss like they oh they cause their ball to move they just move it back yeah they, back. you know they don't mark the ball when they pick it up they uh they take the into a tree they reverse the tree. They break off branches. They break off grass. They um, push you know, down the they're, they're asking, yeah, they're asking people what club to use. 
Yeah. It's just, it's, you know, oh, you almost, you know, and that's what they try, I guess that's what they sort of tried to do with the new rules. We say new, they're nearly, um, well, they are. Over three years old. Yeah, they are three years old. Uh, nearly four. So, you know, they try to make it simpler and come down to the, the common man, but they haven't, they really haven't got that close to what the common man wants to do. I'm sure they've got closer, but not obviously far enough, maybe. You know, and, uh, but yeah, the, the nicest, the nicest point of relief, I would never take a drop in the nicest point of relief. Unless but, it happened to be the nearest point of relief as well. Uh, yeah, but uh, I, you know, I see it, I see it all the time, I just go, wow. How did you, how did that person think that that was, you know, I've, I've heard people say that one of the player's options is nearest point out of a red penalty area. Like, so nearest point where the ball is at rest. Yeah. Or <clears throat> line of flight. So you can drop your ball on the line of flight. I'm not sure whoever was telling or teaching that rule but yeah so yeah i had to say it, but i think you might disadvantage yourself if you know the rules a lot but yeah that, th that's not going to stop my that's not going to stop my crusade on educating people on what good the rules of golf are. pleased to hear that i think the nearest point of relief from a red penalty area is very common you know it's crossed 100 meters back but we're actually going to go and search for it see if we can find it see if we know for sure that it's where it is i might be able to play it for example oh there it is three meters in the water Oh, I think it just crossed here, mate. Where it didn't, it crossed. You know, I think that's probably a very common one as well. Or they only go yeah. halfway back. So well, it's it coming actually... on. Uh, it's coming on the tour as well. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, maybe you, you should get all your all your fans to maybe chip in with a few things that they've seen at club level and some good examples to talk about. Because I'm sure we'll, we'll hear some classic stories. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. some things that go on at club level. Mm. Yeah, so moving on, I don't think anyone had a guess at your background bingo last week, which was a bit of a shame, Stuart, since I thought it was one of the easiest ones that we've had up there. What was it, sir? Um, it was Indians and Wells Golf Resort in California. I actually have a pencil from there, which you're not going to see, of course. I was there yeah. just last month. Your camera, but, uh, just Mike, a, yeah. My camera keeps freezing. Your camera's really bright. But yeah, you were at uh, Indian Wells uh, in Palm, near Palm, Palm Springs, isn't it? Yeah, in Indian Wells, but yeah, it's right next to Palm Springs, Palm Desert, that sort of area along the I-10 out from Los Angeles. Did you end up a playing? A golf mecca. Playing holes not. No, I'm with the family, so I can only just visit pro shops and pick up pencils you got to start. <laughs> and, a cash, and a ball marker. You got to introduce your uh, family to um, to golf, Stuart. Funny you should say that. My wife just mentioned that to me last week. She goes, "Oh, maybe I should take up golf." Finally, that's great. That'd be great. You know, then we can combine the travel and the golf at the same time. And if she plays off forty, she plays off forty. That's what golf. The beauty of golf. Ba Doesn't Barry matter. was Barry was telling me that his wife just took up golf and now plays it twice a week. Fantastic. So, yeah. So you know, it can be done. It's just wonderful yeah. benefits. It's the exercise. It's the social interaction. The social. You can play yeah. it for as you know, play it for as long as you can keep walking around a course. I think it's just a wonderful game. Wonderful game. And you know, once you get into uh, the game, you can learn the rules of golf, or 
do like <laughs> everyone else or do like everyone else, not learn them and just cheat. Ignorance is bliss. Um, so I've got another so you, photo up for this week as well. You know what this is because yes. I sent you a photo at the time. Yes, uh, I've never played there, but I do know which one that is. It's a bit closer to home this and year. India, uh, this week. Yes, absolutely uh, stunning course, stunning. And I'm not sure many will get where I was, but we gave the we gave a hint earlier in the podcast. <laughs> My apologies, sorry about that. <laughs> no, uh, if you didn't know where this one was, you haven't been alive in the last. You've only been born yesterday, sort of thing. Um, now, moving on to the golf rules question, OTW 56. There was no 55, so 56, Stuart, is? This is you and I. So we're on a par three, and we land just are short. We, are we yes. playing at Wombat Hills? You know we are. It's a stunning course. Does it, it's a bit underrated too, unfortunately, Wombat Hills. We are playing at Wombat Hills. And we're on a par three, and you and I are playing a stroke play event, and we both end up just short of the putting green. And as we approach our balls, they're right next to each other. Yours is a little bit further from the hole, so you're going to be playing first. And I notice there's a large chunk of mud on my ball right exactly where my club head would hit uh, to make a stroke at that ball. And I'm going, oh, yeah, that's no good. There's mud on the ball. You then ask, Stuart, your ball's on my line of play. Would you mind marking that for me, please? So I'm going, fantastic. I'm going to be able to clean this mud off. So I put my ball marker down off the putting green. I lift my ball and I go, great, I'll be able to clean this. And you go, no, 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 Stuart, you actually can't clean that mud off your ball. So don't do it. I say, okay, I won't clean it off. You play. I then replace my ball back right next to the marker, but in doing so, the mud is now facing the hole. The ball is now not orientated the way it was when I picked it up. And I'm just wondering if there's any penalty for me for doing what I just did. Interesting. Is there a penalty for Stuart put it, placing his ball with the mud pointed in a different direction? Get your answers in, get your answers in. Uh, let, let's hear it. Uh, so I think that brings us to the end. Thank you very much for your time and hosting it today. Pretty much, Stuart. Co-hosting, my pleasure. Always a pleasure. Uh, um, I hope everyone's enjoyed listening to the episode and we'll chat again soon.